Captured by Christ. What's going on, everybody? Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So first things first, the serpent is a creature created by God. So it's not that when Satan was thrown out of heaven, he just became a serpent. No. He indwelt inside of a serpent. And we know this is true because if you go look, right before Jesus is betrayed by Judas, it says that Satan entered into Judas. And when you read biblical facts like this, we have to carry what all is supposed to be implied and explicitly applied with it. For example, Satan cannot enter into someone that truly has the Spirit of the Lord. Now, Mary Magdalene had seven demons that were cast out by the Lord. However, did Satan enter into Mary Magdalene? No. And another thing, too, just as Paul puts it, that it pleased God to reveal his son in me. Christ in you. It's the number one thing churches reject today. They reject that Christ is in you, even though the scripture, plain as day, says it. With no sort of help to prove this false viewpoint that the Bible doesn't mean what it says. Because that's essentially what scholars and such are basically saying whenever they say stuff like this. You know, it's, uh, it's equivocation. Where it's kind of like beating around the bush. Like, I know what you're telling me, but you're not willing to say it like that, so you'll go around it. But that's essentially what it is. If the scripture says Christ in you, if the scripture says his son in me, if the scripture says faith of Christ, then I don't know about you, but I would start being more aware of how easily deceivable we can be. 
and how people can take things like this and when they have nothing else to try and use from the scripture, they'll just say, well, based on traditional consensus, it can't mean this. Because all these people here didn't see that. And are you going to say that they're smart, that you're smarter than them? I mean, look at all these works they did. Look at all these books, sermons, articles, essays, diatribes that they've done. Are you capable? Like it's a total contradiction of what scripture teaches. Like, who cares? If someone can write an 800 page book on the perpetual virginity of Mary, for example, when I can turn to Matthew 1, 24 through 25 and completely disprove it, was that, am I just that much smarter? No, it's called you've been deceived and you haven't humbled yourself yet to it to see that people have crept in unawares, called themselves Christian, killed the true Christians, and these fake Christians are still here today giving you these false doctrines. Now, going back to Genesis 3, so Satan is inside the serpent. And usually the imagery you're given is of what we see today in a serpent, in a snake. It's one that slithers on its belly. However, it's clear, the serpent was not made to lie on its belly until after the events in this chapter have taken place. So I'm just saying the imagery is much different. And if anything, if you've ever heard of this conspiracy theory about reptilians, I mean, this is probably the only time where you could probably be like, wow, that that would probably be a reptilian or, or a, something that looks like one. Like if you can imagine a snake that doesn't slither on its belly. Okay, and on top of this, you're told that the serpent of old is the dragon in Revelation. So, remember that as well. And of course, Satan is the dragon, just like he's the serpent here. And he said unto the woman, Yeah, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, I want to ask you something. 
Imagine you're Adam looking out on these trees. Is there anything different about this tree besides its location? No. There's no poisonous fruit. Nor is there any sort of diseased bark. Anything. So the Lord made a command not to eat or touch this tree. But just like today, we want to ask ourselves whenever we're given a command of any kind, why? Why can I not eat of this tree? Why can I not touch this tree? And why does God say that I will die if I do so? Because remember, before they were starting to cover each other up with skins, you know, um, pretty sure their awareness was there's no evil around here. But as we'll see, as soon as they went against the commandment, I mean, they could not even be calm. Hearing the footsteps of God. Like they were afraid of him. Like, ask 10 Christians right now. Hey, are you afraid of Jesus? Like, if you were to go against Jesus, do you really believe Jesus would destroy you? Just ask. I bet some of them have not even given it a second thought. Or a first thought. So, you know, you know what most churches say. Jesus loves everybody. And there's many different views on this as well. I'll give you two examples. First one is, Jesus loves everybody. So, he died for everybody. And now it's up to the individuals that he died for to accept it. So instead of it being a full payment, it's an offer. Okay? Whenever I try to tell people that when you believe this stuff, you're saying that this has been loaned out to you and now you must keep it. And they're like, no, 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 we're not saying that. You, you are saying that. But it's because you've been deceived on. Because you're not thinking. 
you're not asking the Lord to teach you about that. You're taking what other people have said and running with it. And then, for those that are a little bit, how can I say this, a little more um, well-versed in the scripture, who have a little better understanding of things, some of them even still make this mistake. And they'll say, well, God loves everybody, but he has a special love for his children. Hmm. So now, God has different types of love, different types of peace, different types of grace, different types of pretty much everything. But I, but I also, but the thing that puzzles me It puzzles me whenever people want to say that God loves those that he sends to hell. Okay? For example, Solomon had 700 wives and worshipped false idols. He was saved. Are all people that have 700 wives and worship false idols, are they saved? No. Moses, David, and even Paul murdered people. They were saved. Or all murderers saved? No. David again. Even Lot, after he had already escaped Sodom and Gomorrah, slept with his daughters. They were saved. Are all people that do these things saved? No. So, what is the catalyst for this Jesus loves everybody thing? It's not there. If Jesus truly loved everybody, then everybody would be saved simply based on the fact that these people were saved. Because according to this Jesus loves everybody doctrine. If, if you don't accept the sacrifice or if you don't if you don't love your enemies as God loves his enemies then there's something wrong with you. But that's the thing. Jesus said, love your enemies as your Heavenly Father loves you. 
Um, I hate to break your heart. Jesus does not love his enemies. Now we are, we are to love them, but there's a reason for this. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not truly die. For God knows that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now I want to point out a few things here. Um, verse 6 is correlated with a verse in verse John. I believe it's first John, but it's one of the later um I believe it was an epistle, technically, which is a letter. But in one of those later letters from John, you'll see verse six here of Genesis three be reiterated. And it makes perfect sense. So, first off, for God knows that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, one thing the serpent did not lie about. For God knows that in the day you eat thereof. Going back to the original question. Why were they commanded not to eat or touch the tree? Because God already knew that they were going to eat and touch the tree. Because see, here's the deal. If God knows that they're going to eat and touch the tree that they that he claims that if they do they will die, why does he not stop them from doing it? Free will, free will No silly Because if that were the case, he would have never given, or given, he would never have given the commandment. Okay? Because there's many times in scripture where we're told about the future. So he could have just told them about the future, 
But that's the point. Nothing different would have happened. And the only reason why I can say that is because everything is determined by God. Okay, if God knows that they're going to eat of the tree and die, but he supposedly had nothing to do with it. Why did he give a commandment and not just tell them, like, hey, I've seen the future. You're going to do this. And this is what's going to happen to you. Okay, if you're honest with yourself, nothing different would have happened. Why? Because we have to have, we have to be exposed before we can be covered. Okay, you have to be washed in order to be cleansed. And another one of these little false doctrines that unfortunately most churches carry is that Adam and Eve, before they ate and touched this fruit, were perfect. Yet, they were, yet Eve was deceivable. Okay, they're, they're sinners by nature. Okay, I don't remember Jesus being given any commandments. I only remember him commanding others. Because if we go with the logic of, well, he was commanded because, you know, he's the son of God, then we would have to discount all of the Old Testament passages as not being from him. but given to him, which is ridiculous. So, and when the woman, well, let's look at this first. Then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, God knows what's good and what's evil. But why? Because he determined it. He determined that well, he determined that evil can only exist through goodness. 
meaning you can't like evil cannot just come up from nothing. Evil must take what is holy and pervert it. If you take any of the fruits of the spirit and turn them upside down, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. That the opposite of love is hate. You know, the opposite of patience is impatience. The the opposite of peace is chaos. Confusion. And it talks about in the New Testament about how the people will mistake evil for good and good for evil. Because see, if good and evil is just this inherited standard that even God has to follow, then we're all doomed. Because God has already broken that morality code because God has murdered with intent. God has deceived false prophets. God even told one of the minor prophets to go marry a wife of whoredom. Now, of course, all these things had their specific purposes. But at the same token, why is he not charged with sin? If he indeed has to follow this standard. And that's where we get into sovereignty. And how. Only God. Can have sovereignty. It's not. It's not that God couldn't create someone with sovereignty apart from himself. But. You also got to think. Unless God. Sovereignly. Gives up his sovereignty to another that would really be the only way that he could do that it's kind of like the old adage can God create something that's stronger than him can he create someone that's more knowing than him and just like with anything else you can only ask, can God, or can't God, so many times until you have to come to the realization that it's completely irrelevant. It's only about, will God, or will not God, do this? So, going back to... Verse 6, we're going to look real quick. Here's verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so jot these down. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. Those three points. Good for food. Pleasant to the eyes. And a tree to be desired. 
to make one wise. Remember, Jesus said he is the tree of life. Who gives us true wisdom? God. Made the connection. So let's look up We'll go to, like I said, it's, you got 1st to 3rd John. Yeah, okay, it's 1st John 2. We'll start with verse 12. I write unto you, little children, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Remember, all of scripture is only written to people who will be saved. Remember that. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. Okay, so whenever in scripture you see something that is said twice, and or three times, you, you might want to jot it down, that there's a reason why it's being reiterated. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So he says it again, you have overcome the wicked one. It's a reiteration. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Remember, Jesus told the Pharisees to their faces, You do not have the love of God within you. If God was truly your Father, you would love me. But God is not your Father. Your Father is the devil. And he's been a liar and a murderer from the beginning. For all that is in the world, remember those three things I told you? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abideth forever. Let's go back. Genesis 3. The tree was good for food. She saw this. When you're hungry... When you're really, really hungry. Sometimes, 
something you would probably never eat. If it's the only thing there and you're that hungry, are you not going to eat it? You bet you are. Unless you don't mind dying. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. Okay. The lust of the eyes. Remember the eye is the lamp of the body. Meaning, through your eye. Your desire reveals itself. If you notice in this generation, we do a lot of looking down. And I dare say we don't really look each other in the eye. We may see how beautiful a woman's eyes are. But I, I think it's safe to say for any men and or women that have looked their spouse or just somebody in the eye. They can have the most beautiful looking eyes. But it's through that when you remove that, you'll truly see how wretched they are. And it's either in the sense of they're a sinner and they don't realize it, but they are a good person, or they are just that wicked. But they look like someone you would want to trust. Okay, and Jesus is always portrayed by the world as one of the most beautiful human beings ever. The, the scripture does not support that. That will not happen until later. Christ's beauty has everything to do with the inside. Everything. It has everything to do with what you cannot see yet. And also, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. So there's something called spiritual blindness. Where I can have 20-20 vision, yet see nothing. Why? Because a spiritually dead person can have 20-20 vision. But they don't have the living spirit within them. And therefore, they are blind. It's not about seeing something visibly. Which also reveals that since it was pleasant to her eyes, she was deceived. 
her desire was revealed. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. Pride of life. You know, the pride of life. You know, when it comes to pride. Pride gets correlated with, um, with confidence and arrogance. And of course, arrogance is different from confidence. It's a drunkenness of confidence. Because too much of anything is a bad thing. Except for Jesus. Because Jesus is not a substance. He's an individual. He's God. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. So, going back to what I said earlier. Jesus is the tree of life. Okay. So, when we eat the fruits of the Spirit, okay, those are good fruits. But we do this by having the Holy Spirit within us. Because God does the work. God makes His Word taste good in our mouths. God makes His Word settle well with our stomachs, with our hearts, with our minds. He causes us to follow Him. Follow what I'm saying here. He causes us to follow Him. That means those that do not follow Him ultimately follow Him. They were not caused to do so. They were not created to do so. You do not want to go with them to where they are going. Because they do not know where they're going. They may claim, Some of them may claim that they want help. But people claim a lot of things. That they just don't understand. And so. As we see. These three things. Has to do with sight. mindset you know the eyes the lamp of the body what are you seeing you can have two people with 20-20 vision look at the same thing but each person can see something different you know, kind of like these art enthusiasts. 
that go to these uh, art museums, you'll have hundreds of them. They'll look at the same painting, but then when you ask them what they see, they all have a different response. Why? Because what they see comes from within, not from outside. Two people can look upon a child with 20-20 vision and one and one man looks at that child as one to be nurtured, one to be trained in a godly manner, not as a robot, but you know, they, they look at that child as someone that will become a man or a woman that needs to be strong. But then you'll have someone with 2020 vision look upon a child like this and think of the ways that they could pervert them and hurt them. Why? Because what they see comes from within. Wake up. Wake up to your reality today. What do you see? I'm telling you, whatever answer you give, it's going to come from within. So now, I want to get into something. Something very important. What we see comes from within. When Jesus sees you, what does he see? I'm here to tell you today, if he doesn't see his son, he only sees someone that he is going to destroy completely. God is personal. Personal. I'd like to read to you some of these passages from Psalms. I've been studying Psalms for going on probably four days now. And I tell you, um, Jesus is written all over Psalms. And it's a shame 
to hear some people when they'll claim that you can't apply everything in scripture to yourself. That, oh, these promises were only to David. Psalms 32 Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. Like this is written hundreds I'd have to check the dates just to make sure but I would say at least a thousand years before Jesus Christ died and rose again forgiveness is being mentioned there's no forgiveness of sins unless they're shedding the blood Remember that. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He, de he deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserveth man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and you shall make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life, in thy light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are the workers of iniquity fallen, they are cast down and shall not be able to rise. Okay, remember, Jesus told people to their faces, You search the scriptures because you believe you have eternal life through them, but I tell you, you do not have eternal life. Because you do not have the love of God within you. Because if you truly had God as your father, you would love me. But God is not your father. Your father is the devil. See, it's one thing for us to make statements like this out of ignorance, because it's like, I don't care how 
infuriated I am with somebody. I can't tell them something like that. Because I don't know how their life's going to turn out. And what if I'm wrong? Sure, I know that my salvation's always been in the hand of the Lord. And I know that it depends on nothing I do, good or bad. But we, we have to be responsible. When, when Jesus told these people this, did they prove him wrong? No, they didn't. Do you think he was, like, just warning them about something? No. Um, it's called an insult. You know, there is such things as a truthful insult. And I'm not saying that we should just be insulting people. But I am saying that's exactly what Jesus did. People were insulted by him. Did he care? No, he didn't. He said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. What, what was that sword? The sword is the word of God. Because remember, he said, now that they've seen me, and believe not, their condemnation is just. Like, whoa, wait a minute. Who's doing the judging again? It'd be him. My enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die and when his name perish? And if he come to see me, he speak of vanity. His heart gathereth iniquity to itself. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it. All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, cleaveth fast unto him. And now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. Yea, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, have lifted up his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requite them. By this I know that you favor me, because my enemy does not triumph over me. And as for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me before thy face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And I'm just scrolling along here. Let's see, this is Psalms 45. Let's see. 
Psalms 46, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. This is a verse that's used by the Roman Catholic Church to assert that they are uh, the true church of God, the true body of Christ. Um, and, of course, that is complete nonsense. Um we are the body of Christ, mean those who rely on Christ and Christ alone. The Lord is with us, not with them. Okay, see, at a certain point, even if you want to be one that claims that God loves all people, you're you're still stuck having to explain why he treats them differently from us. Because, see, unfortunately, a lot of us who do believe in Jesus Christ, um, we've become conceited in that, and we have totally forgotten that, one, there's only one way to God, but most importantly, that God causes you to go in that direction. It says in Luke 15, Jesus says that the shepherd, once he finds his sheep that is lost, throws the sheep over his shoulders. You, you hear all the time, you know, I'm walking with God, I'm walking with God. But what do you mean by that? I'm telling you, if if you're believing right now that you can walk step and step with God, you've like you, you just don't understand. Um, we can't do anything righteous. Only He can do things righteous, which is why He throws us over His shoulders. We can't do anything. We can't do anything to make or break our salvation. And what happens is, a lot of people, when they feel like they have already received their salvation, they will start proclaiming things that only Jesus can proclaim, like, your father's the devil, or, um, or that you don't have the love of God within you. But that's not to say that Jesus didn't mean what he said. If Jesus is telling these people that they don't have the love of God within them, what makes us think that we have the right to say that the love of God belongs to all people? We don't have that right. There is no such thing as two different types of love from God. There is for us, though. But that's natural. 
it's naturally a given that you're going to love your child more often than not more than your best friend. Or more than just someone you don't know. Like when when uh, Jesus is talking in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says Lord, Lord to me will make it into the kingdom of heaven. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Was he talking about his mind? Like he didn't know who they were? Like, no. That's not the imagery. There was no intimacy. That word new is always used for... Well, it's used for sexual intercourse, but of course, in this case, it's about being one with God. Becoming one. But again, if, if Jesus is telling people that they don't have the love of God within them, Like, we can't make those claims. The reason why Jesus can make those claims without recanting, without taking it back, is because he knows all things. That's why if you go look at every question that was asked from Jesus, they are all rhetorical. He knew the answer to every single one of them. That he asked. But when you see verses. And I'm trying to find it. But. But God. Like he laughs. At the calamity of the wicked. Okay. Um, let death seize upon them. Let them go down quick in the hell. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me... I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Now, again, as for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. So, of course, people will be like, free will, free will. He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. 
he hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. So, if you remember that first covenant, it would seem as if he had broken it. And in a sense, he did. But the reality is, the true covenant is the one in Christ. Because if both covenants were still active, then it would be correct that Israel would be different from the body of Christ. But since the new covenant has made the old one obsolete, hence old and new, it would follow not that Israel will not be saved, but that our understanding of who Israel is must be different than an ethnic race in the land of Canaan, that is today called the Zionist state of Israel. The true Israel is the body of Christ. And I'm just throwing this out there. The word Jew was not used until near the end of the Old Testament going into the Gospels of Jesus Christ. And there is a reason for this. It's called identity theft. Because remember, and, you know, even some people I've talked to locally in my community, um, they'll claim that a Jew is of an ethnic race, yet when it says that Jesus is king of the Jews above his head, like, I just don't see how they don't, they don't understand that that's wrong. When the Jews are the ones killing them. Because you're not seeing that just like in Revelation, there are people who call themselves Jews, but they're not Jews. And we see this today already with people calling themselves Christian, but they're not Christian. Same thing. See, a Jew and a Christian are ultimately the same. But that's why there's so much confusion. Because it's not that they want Jesus Christ. They just don't want you to have him. Because that's how desperate and wicked and pathetic they are. See, Satan knows what the truth is. But he is so pathetic and foolish. He knows the moment when he decides to indwell a human being and call himself God, which he will call himself Christ, 
because you can't beat God unless you're Christ. Just like you can't beat God unless you're the Lord and the Christ. So, he knows, according to first, I think it's first Thessalonians, according to scripture, if he goes out and does this, which is the one thing he wants to do more than anything else, says so in the Old Testament. He knows that that's the event where us Christians have already been warned by our Father in Heaven that it's party time. Like, the Lord is coming. You already knew He was coming before. But if you see this event happen, oh, buddy, get ready. It is over with. How dare you claim yourself to be someone you're not. I'll show you. Does God have to prove himself? No. But will he? You bet. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, shall bring them, not us, down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in thee. I have to talk about this subject with so many different people that I love and I care about. Because, you know, when we, think about it like this. Do we not take people that are more loving to us, more granted, than people that hate us? Yes, we do. I did it just the other day. I love my wife. With all my heart. She's my sweetheart. But I got so mad at something she said to me. And I called her a bad word. And I slammed the door. You know what that was? That was me taking her for granted. Because as loving as she has been to me. And granted, we've had our fights. We're going to fight. All couples fight. But it's just... Even, even so, I did not have to call her that name, and I didn't have to slam the door. And by the grace of God, I went back in there, and I apologized, and we talked it out. And that was totally by the grace of God, because it could have went in any other direction but that one. But the Lord had mercy. 
you know, and it's just, we don't recognize these things in our lives and relate it to our relationship with Christ. Um, if I can't tell you how many atheists would agree with people that claim that God loves all people. Why? Because if they know that he loves them, if he if they just know that, then they're gonna take them for granted. If there was any possibility whatsoever in a person's mind that they were not atoned for at Calvary, pretty sure they would live differently. Pretty certain of it. I've never met an individual that believed in Jesus Christ, believed that he determined all things, but also believed that he determined him or her to go to hell. I've never met that individual. Never met them. And if I ever do, I'm going to ask them how much they get paid on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. Because I am not going to be convinced whatsoever that they would say such a ridiculously insane thing without being paid to do so. I gotta go. I love all you guys. And always remember, it's a wonderful thing to be captured by the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless you all. Goodbye.